want to know, any of you have somebody that lives maybe in your house that every once in a while gets hangry? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, they start acting like a real jerk. They don't, nothing, nothing pleases them. And you end up, you know, just trying to get something for them to eat because they're hungry and they become angry. No, no pointing, please. That's good. (laughs) I got that. Oh, you know, here's the situation. National Library of Medicine says hunger elicits, elicits several responses from people. Here's what happens to you when you get hungry. Get more aggressive. That's where the hangry comes from, right? You have anhedonia. I bet you use that word all the time, don't you? Yes, right. And you are slower thinking, a little slower thinking when you're that. Well, this is what a little summary of it is. It means that you become more aggressive and nothing pleases you. That's what anhedonia means. You don't, nothing pleases them. You know what you say? You say to them, well, let's do that now. Now's not a good time. Well, let's do that later. We can't do it later. You understand? You've been with that, that person and that's what's going on with them. And that's where the, that's where the hangry comes in. That's what the hangry is, is making it with them. Uh, and they're a little slower processing what is going on. Now, I'm going to ask you, does that seem like what you're seeing in a lot of people is you're driving down the road and you're seeing them in the shopping and you're seeing them in the stores and all of the things that you're seeing them in and they, they have that, you get that impression that they may be hangry. But you look at them and you know that they had plenty to eat or probably had plenty to eat. So why isn't that happening? Well, you know, I've wondered about this and I don't have any scientific evidence. But I believe that if you can get hangry from not eating food, you can get hangry when you don't feed your soul either. A little bit different, but the same kind of thing happens. And so we try to fill our souls with the things of this world. But you know what happens with the things of this world? It's like eating candy. You eat candy, and it's a thrill for a little bit, isn't it? But it just doesn't last. So very short times. And there's maybe just a little, there's a difference between eating sugary things and then feeling like you had something to eat. You know what I'm talking about? You feel like, I really ate a meal here. Not just a little sugar that is here. Well, I believe we need to feed our souls with more than the world's candy. I'm going to reread the scripture that was read this morning. Not because they didn't do a good job reading it. But because my translation says it just a little bit different. So I'm going to say it this way. In uh, John chapter 6 verse 30. So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may be, may see rather, and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of heaven is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
So these, this is what happened here. People, I believe now, people are genuinely looking for something to fill their hungry souls. They're really truthfully looking for it. You see, these people were looking for a sign in order to believe in him. What they wanted was evidence of who he really was. The Jewish expectation was that the Messiah would bring back the manna from heaven. So this is what they were looking for. But they're thinking on an earthly level. You see, and what happens to us is our own standing is ex- understanding is exactly the same once we're on our earthly level. See, before we come to Christ, we cannot discern spiritual things and, until we get beyond the earthly level. It makes absolutely no sense to people what we are doing here and what, it, what we're saying to them. It just doesn't make any sense to them. That's because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is a pivotal verse, folks. A pivotal verse in which we interpret things on an earthly level until we have the Holy Spirit within us that can interpret on the spiritual level. The irony of the question that these people were given, you know, Jesus had fed the 5,000. Where'd they think that food came from in the first place? That story had to get a lot of great attention. I mean, everybody must have heard about it at some point. The disciples had seen Jesus walking on water. Come on. Don't you think that story got out a little bit? Don't you realize there was a sign that was going on there? And even when Jesus appears on the other side of the sea, at one point they said, how did he get over here? Well, he walked across is what happened. They knew there wasn't a boat to take him across. They realized what had happened, but they couldn't figure it out. So they had seen the signs, but they could not uh, interpret them for eternal significance. You know, I had, uh, when I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, the church... Uh, I told them I didn't want a moving van. I just put it all in a U-Haul truck and bring it up there. But they decided, well, why don't we, you, you can't bring your kids and, and you bring your, you know, your, your cars and all of that kind of stuff and drive the truck at the same time. Why don't we send a couple of college students down and they'll drive the truck back for you? I said, okay. I loaded the truck, got it all ready for them. The, the college students came down. They flew them down to Fort Worth when I was getting out of seminary. And these college students say, no, I said, I, I want to take them out to eat tonight. In 1982, these college students had never had Mexican food. Evidently, it had never made it to the eastern side of the, of, of the country at that point. 1982, you have to realize the, the year that's going on. So I went and I ordered for them. They didn't know how to order, so I, knew, I ordered for them. And I got them a good amount of guacamole that they dropped right, you know, on their plate. It was a, it's one of those Mexican buffet places. And I got them, I just dumped that, uh, that uh, guacamole on there. And I noticed them picking around the food on the outside. And I said to them, I, what, what, what's wrong here? And they said, well, we know that it's probably really good, but it looks like somebody just threw up on our plate. I never even thought about that. You realize they didn't know what good food was. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'll be honest with you folks. I try not to eat Mexican food more than once a day. But I I break that every once in a while. You see, people fail to see the spiritual meal right in front of them sometimes. Right in front of them. 
So they said that their fathers ate uh, manna or bread out of heaven. Jesus had given them regular bread when he fed the 5,000. They wanted something different from that, evidently. You see, they wanted that bread out of heaven. They wanted what they expected Jesus to look like. And I think that every one of us has a picture of Jesus and he became a little bit different than what we think he would look like and what he would be like. We would say that's not Jesus. See, the biases that we have can keep us from seeing God right in front of us. That's why one person will come to church and they'll get a full spiritual meal. And the person sitting right next to them says, I got nothing at all out of that. You see what happens here? You see, it's almost like you get, you know, you're, you're, you know how your radio stations were? I don't know if you know about radio stations anymore, but you used to tune them in. And if, you, if somebody broke the knob off, you couldn't change stations. And some of the people are like their knob is broken off and they just can't change the station. Uh, Jesus would use the phrase in Matthew eleven fifteen. It says, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. You realize that every one of those people out there had ears and they could hear. But the truth is, is not everyone hears. Not everyone gets a meal, even when the meal is served. In order to see that spiritual meal, in order to hear that spiritual sound, we must come to our senses For Peter, it would be when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Matthew 11, 15 says, he said to them, but who do you yourselves say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You realize this. Look at this. When we have something from God, God must reveal this to you. God must simply reveal this to you. You realize what I'm saying to you. And see, when Peter had a dream about eating foods that he's told not to eat, he had that moment when God told him to stop calling unclean what God had made clean. And it's at that moment he had this revelation. It was revealed to him. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's okay for them to receive the gospel. When that happens, you just must do what the Lord tells you to do. I had this policeman. I was preaching in London. And there was a a policeman that was there in the the crowd of people. Now, I will tell you up front, the, the Brits told me, do not offer an invitation. They don't know what to do with an invitation. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have everyone seated and I'm going to say, if you will trust in Jesus right now, if you've heard this gospel story and you want Jesus, I'm going to ask them to stand. They said, nobody's going to stand. Well, there were several people that did stand, by the way. One of those people was this policeman. And I went over to that policeman and you know what he told me? He said, I was sitting there and I said, I I know he's telling the truth. I know what it is, but I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to stand. I looked down and I was standing. That was it. He said, I was standing. And I realized that, see, once he could see, he couldn't refuse the meal that was set right down in front of him. He took up that meal at that time. 
For God's spiritual food gives life. Jesus told them that it wasn't Moses that gave them the food out of heaven. And he used the word has given. It, that word uh, that it's in the Greek, it's a, what they call a perfect verb. Perfect verb means it's something that has happened in the past, completely happened in the past, but it still has results. What it means is, is that this food has been prepared. It is available. It was available in the past and it's still available right now. When Jesus used that word, that's what it means. So that the message of the gospel is just as valid as it was when Jesus presented it himself as it is in this moment that we're in. The manna that Moses told the people about was temporary. But God's bread of life still exists. The bread that Jesus speaks of still exists. God offers and continues to supply this bread And this bread is much more than physical life. This is the bread that fills the soul, folks. It is the the bread. It is bread that brings purpose. In fact, the bread that Jesus offers calls us to God's purpose. Now understand, God didn't just save us so that he could say, now you're saved. He created us in the first place, and it it only makes sense. And just to be honest with you, it only makes sense that if you're created by a person who creates you, you have a purpose for being created. That absolutely doesn't make any sense any other way. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each, in this way let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches. What he's saying? The way that you've been created, you have a purpose. And in this way, you ought to live out your life in that way. And it just makes sense that that would be the way that God would make us. And if you are in something that you are not supposed to do, you should get out of it. Do you understand? If you're doing, and it's not always sinful. You know, my first church job was working as a youth and music director. That was my first church job. I was in college. And I had a couple of problems. They told me I had a couple of problems. It was a small church. They said, you can't sing and you can't keep time. Now that's a problem when you're doing music. I don't know if you know that. So they told me, when you lead the choir, don't sing and please don't move your hands. I'm the only music guy that ever said... Okay, you can start now, (laughs) you know, because I was messing them up with my singing and with my moving my hands. That was not my calling. Did I need to try it twice to make sure? Absolutely not. I was terrible at it. But you have a manner that you are supposed to walk. See, the bread that Jesus offers brings joy. Joy is found in the person we know and love. When my wife and I were dating, this is the absolute truth. I love to hear her talk. I still do, by the way. And I would, I'd often stay at her apartment and talk to her until the sun came up. I'm not exaggerating about this. I told people I have to get married because I got to get some sleep. You know, it's killing me, you know. And so when we take in this manna from heaven and we know the one who uh, gives it to us provides it we spend time with him and when we spend time with him we're full of joy 
And I real, you realize that, folks. When I was so far away from the Lord one time in my life, and I realized how miserable I was, and I went and <laughs> found my Bible, opened it up, started reading it. You know what I said? I found my joy again. I found where God is. I found Him in my heart again. I didn't lose my salvation, but I certainly had lost my joy. You see, the bread that Jesus offers brings meaning as well. Our lives need meaning. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, our lives are in vain without the Lord. Maybe that's why wealthy people, they try to give big gifts to name a hospital wing after them or a, or a library after them or, or whatever it is so that they, will, they can have something that says, my life has meaning. Alfred Nobel it was the inventor of dynamite. I don't know if you know that. He was the inventor of dynamite. You know, and they, dynamite was used, especially in wars, to kill a whole lot of people. When his brother, Ludwig Nobel, died, a French newspaper thought it was Alfred. And you know what the headline was in the French paper? The merchant of death has died. That's not the way he wanted to be remembered. You know what he, what, who he is. He didn't want to be remembered that way. So he, and that upon his death, he gave a large part of his wealth to establish the Nobel Prize. That's how he wanted to be remembered but understand this, folks. Too many are depending on, on the people who remain to keep their memories or their accomplishments alive. If I were to say to some of you, and some of you will know the answer to this, who was James Buchanan? Some of you would say, I don't know. He was the 15th president of the United States. Understand. If I were to ask you who Adelaide Stevenson was, you wouldn't know who he was either. I'm talking about the first one who was vice president of the United States at one time. Do you realize these were people that were in the news and everybody would supposedly know who they were? But after they've been gone for so long, there is nothing left that we really do remember about them. But if we listen to the Lord and we are filled up with what he has told us to do. Do you realize that the things that we do last through eternity? That those people that you have told about Jesus, that come to Jesus, you'll see them for eternity in heaven. For those people that you've discipled, that changed other people's lives, you will see them forever in eternity. Realize our accomplishments go with us into eternity. Now, here's the other thing. People can have this bread. See, they said they wanted Jesus to give them this bread. They wanted life. They knew they were hungry. And Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. He said they would never be hungry again. They said they would, he said that he, they would never thirst again. And he would fulfill their request. Don't these people sound like the woman at the well, sir, give us this, this water. Give, give me this water is what she said. They said uh, to him, they said, Lord, always give us this bread. I think the woman at the well was a lot nicer. But in reality, they were asking for the same thing. There is a subtle requirement, though, in Jesus' words. 
People must come to Jesus to receive his bread. To come to him is to walk away from that other food, that candy and that stuff that won't do you any good. It is to forsake the physical pleasures and the possessions and the pride. It's the story of the rich young ruler who Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. You got your attention too much on what you own. Sell it all. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. You know, a lot of people look and they say, well, that's just too much. Well, am I supposed to take what Jesus said and make it easier for everybody? Or am I just going to give you what it is? And this is what it is. I don't know if you ever heard of of George Mueller. George Mueller was an incredible man of the the, um, 19th century. Uh, He would live a life of drunkenness and debauchery. And he would convert to Christianity. Here's what he said on his 90th birthday. He started five orphanages in England. Five orphanages. He says, I was converted in November of 1825, but I only came into the full surrender of of the heart four years later. In July 1829, the love of money was gone. The love of place was gone. The love of position was gone. The love of worldly pleasures and engagements was gone. God, God alone became my portion. I found my all in him. I wanted nothing else. And by the grace of God, this has remained and has made me a happy man, an exceedingly happy man. And it led me to care only about the things of God. I ask affectionately, my beloved brethren... Have you fully surrendered the heart to God? Or is there this thing or that thing with which you are taken up irrespective of God? I read little of the scriptures before, but preferred other books. But since that time, the the revelation he has made of himself has become unspeakably blessed to me. And I can say from my heart, God is an infinitely loving being. Oh, be not satisfied until your own inmost soul can say, God is an infinitely loving being. Yes, yes, that is what it is to follow Christ. That is what it is to be full. That, it is, that is what it is to lose the hangriness and understand the joy of Jesus Christ.